Well, happy Thanksgiving. Okay, so y'all not wishing so much for me to have one. Okay, that, that's all right. I, I want that for you anyway. Hey, I, I, I probably like several of y'all, I, I like to get through Thanksgiving before we dive into Christmas, right? Let, let, let's let Thanksgiving happen. Yeah, we're all, we're all over here. But uh, having said that, I have a Christmas announcement. Uh, we'll get right back to Thanksgiving in a moment. You know, we have a uh, uh, we do a Christmas production every year. And the last several years, uh, we've done something that fits inside of our, our Sunday morning schedule. It was an hour or less program, and it, and it went right here during the regular services. But this year, we kind of grew it up a little bit, and, and it's about an hour and a half program. So we've moved it out of Sunday morning, and we're presenting, uh, doing a presentation Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday afternoon, December 13, 14, and 15. And it's a, it's a great story. I promise you're going to have fun. You're going to be encouraged. You're going to hear the gospel. And uh, here's, here's some great music. So I sure hope you'll be here and be a part of that. But what I hope more than anything is that you use it. That, that's the real reason we do this. It's not that we can get together and entertain ourselves. It's that you have a tool for reaching out to your family, friends, co-workers. And I think sometimes we all feel, I don't know if it's always accurate, but we feel like it's getting harder to invite people to church. Well, this isn't one of those hard invites. This is an easier one. People enjoy doing this, coming to these kinds of things. And uh, I sure hope you'll do that. If you go out to the information desk out here, we have a little invitation card. It has the the Christmas cabin, the, the picture of the production on the front and all the information that you need on the back. It's not a ticketed event. You don't have to have one of these to come to the show. This is just an invitation for you to be able to hand somebody and, and get that in, excuse me information to them. So go to the information desk and, and pick that up. But okay, Christmas is over. Let's get back to Thanksgiving. Amen. I've, I've got a little bit of a different, um, well, I was about to say different Chris, uh, Thanksgiving message, but really it's not that, that the message is different. The passage I'm going to use today is different. I'm, I'm guessing I'm going to be using a passage you have never in your life heard used on Thanksgiving. Well, except maybe some of you, because I've used it on Thanksgiving once before. It's been a long time. I'm counting that you weren't here or that you forgot. Uh, I, I don't often go back and, and pull out an old sermon, but uh, as I was thinking about Thanksgiving this year, th- this sermon just came right away to, to my memory. And, you, you know, honestly, folks, I, I don't think we know how much we need Thanksgiving. I, I, I don't think we respect what the giving of thanks means to our our life, our health, our strength, our well-being. And uh, as I was thinking about that, I was drawn to this passage and this message. That The passage is Ezekiel 31. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible, Ezekiel 31. Uh, probably not a place you've been a lot. If you go to the Psalms, the Psalms are right in the middle of your Bible, and then just start thumbing right. Uh, and there's quite a few books till you get to the to Ezekiel, but some big books you'll thumb through are Isaiah and Jeremiah. When you get to Jeremiah, you're, you're right there is Ezekiel. Just, just keep going a little bit and you'll be in Ezekiel. We're looking at Ezekiel 31, and in this passage, we're going to hear a story about a tree. That's right, your, your Thanksgiving message is about a tree. It is a cedar 
of Lebanon. I've got a picture of it up here for you. And uh, folks, this is an absolutely impressive tree. There's really nothing like it on the earth. I mean, say nothing like it. Something similar would be what we have here in America, in California, with the redwoods. But, but this is of that kind. There's not hardly anything like it as big, tall, wide, and it is a cedar of Lebanon. Now, that does not mean it is a cedar that happens to be in Lebanon. It may be, but this, that's actually the name of the tree, cedar of Lebanon, and it is, it is just an impressive tree. So kind of get that picture in your mind because that's what we're reading about now in Ezekiel 31. Let me begin in verse 1. On June 21st, during the 11th year of King Jehoiachin's captivity, this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, give this message to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and all his hordes. To whom would you compare your greatness? Now, Ezekiel has gotten a message from the Lord. He's now speaking to Pharaoh and he's challenging, hey, who who do you think your greatness? You're great, no doubt about it. But who do, who do you think that greatness would compare? And the Lord is saying to him, you are like mighty Assyria, which was once. That's, that's past tense, right? Assyria was a dominant power in the world for a century. It was, it was a dominant nation. But it was defeated, it was destroyed, it is a shell of a nation now. And so that's the warning Ezekiel, the Lord, is giving through Ezekiel to Egypt, to the Pharaoh. Hey, you're like Assyria. And Assyria was once like a cedar of Lebanon. We've been introduced to our tree. What's the cedar of Lebanon like? Well, beautiful branches that cast deep forest shade with its top high among the clouds. Deep springs watered it. Let me stop here again. I will get through this passage. I want you to notice with me how many times the word water is going to be used here. I I believe that the Lord is giving a very subtle message. We're looking at something that is beautiful, that is strong, that is great, that is unrivaled. But what is a tree without water? Don't don't be... Dead, right? Yeah. I mean, in all of its greatness, it is entirely dependent upon something that it has no control over. So we've got this beautiful tree, this great tree. Now now watch and see if you don't agree with me that the Lord's subtly giving a message here with the water. Verse 4, deep springs watered it, that's one, and helped it to grow tall and luxuriant. The well, water, too, flowed around it like a river streaming to all the trees nearby. The great tree towered high, higher than all the other trees around it. It prospered and grew long, thick branches because of all the water. That's three at its roots. The birds nested in its branches and in its shade, all the wild animals gave birth. All the great nations of the world lived in its shadow. It was strong and beautiful with widespreading branches for all its roots went deep into abundant Water four times. Don't you feel like God's making a point here? That's a lot of water we're talking about in just a few verses. Uh, Verse 6, or verse 7. What verse am I? Verse 8. No other cedar in the garden of God could rival it. No cypress had branches equal to it. No plane tree had bows to compare. No tree in the garden of God came close to it in beauty. 
Because I made this tree. Okay, now we're introducing another idea. Remember what we're thinking about. Great, powerful, strong, unrivaled, but totally dependent on water. Has no control over where that water comes from or how it gets it. And then now on the other end of that is God is saying, I made you what you are. I, I gave you what you have. I made you what you are because I made this tree so beautiful and gave it such magnificent foliage. It was the envy of all the other trees of Eden, the garden of God. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says, because Egypt became proud and arrogant. This will be the last time I stop before I finish the passage. You may have noticed the word Thanksgiving is nowhere used in this passage yet. I mean, it's, and it's not going to be in what I have left read. We're not hearing about giving of thanks. We're not hearing the word thanksgiving, the word thanks. It's not even implied. But do you know what the opposite of thanksgiving is? Pride and arrogance. I thought it was ingratitude. No, pride and arrogance is what causes ingratitude or what you might say is the opposite of gratitude. So what's being dealt with in this passage is the opposite of giving thanks and look at the problem that comes from it. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says, because Egypt became proud and arrogant because it set itself so high above the others with its top reaching to the clouds. I will hand it over to a mighty nation that will destroy it as its wickedness deserves. I've already discarded it. It's already done. Hadn't happened yet, but when God says something, it's as good as done. When God says something, you can speak about it in the past tense. Whether it's happening tomorrow or whether it's happening a thousand years from now, it's a done deal. Verse 12, a foreign army, the terror of the nations, has cut it down and left it fallen to the ground. Its branches are scattered across the mountains and valleys and ravines of the land. All those who lived in its shadow have gone away and left it lying there. So we just read about this great tree, the, the, the cedar of Lebanon. Man, there's, there's nothing like it. Now we know it's symbolic. It's representative of Egypt. It's representative of Assyria. And, and so what is this tree like? That's what those nations were like. They were, they were tall. They were big. They were the envy of other nations. They were beautiful. They were strong. All the animal kingdom came under its shadows. Under its branches. That's where there was rest. That's where there was peace. That was where there was prosperity. Everything you want was inside this tree. Or inside this nation. Right up to the point that God cut it down. You ever thought about that? No matter how great a tree is. A cedar of Lebanon. The redwoods of of California. Are absolutely powerless to being cut down. They're great right up to their moment that they're not. Oh, it is tall. It is beautiful. It is wide. It does give much. But our, our, our cedar of Lebanon became proud. It very simply began to think, I'm the source. I'm, I'm the source of my greatness. I'm the source of the good that comes. I'm the source of all that is enjoyed here. I made this happen. You do know we're not talking about a tree, right? God's here specifically talking to a nation. He's talking to Egypt. He's saying, hey, you're like Assyria. But really, God could be talking to any nation in this passage. 
this might sound strange. God could be talking to a church in this passage. God could be talking to a people. God could be talking to to you and me. See, all that goes on here is we just very naturally, it's natural. This is the way we tend to think. I, I, I'm, the, I'm the source. I, I made this happen. It's my hard work. It's my effort. It's my skill, my ability, my smarts, my beauty, my strength. I, I did this. And, and when we begin to think that we are the source, that is the biblical definition of pride. That is the thinking that led to the fall of Satan out of heaven. That is the thinking that Satan used to lead Adam and Eve to their fall. That is the thinking that precedes every sin that every person has ever committed. This is the beginning of it right here. And it brings about destruction in our lives. You may think, why does God care so much about pride? I mean, none of us thinks that bragging and boasting and air. Arrogance. None of us thinks that's pretty, but I mean, in the big scheme of things, it's not as not as bad as a lot of things, is it? Well, folks, it's it's a way, a very natural way of thinking. That's a lie. And you're not. I'm not going to build anything good that is built on a lie. I'm not going to lead myself or lead anybody around me to a place that is good when it is built on a lie, because I'm not the source. I'm not the source. I've, I, I, I didn't put the dirt there. I mean, think about if, I, if I'm the cedar of Lebanon. I didn't put the dirt there. I didn't put the water there. I didn't make me. And yet, how natural for the cedar of Lebanon to say, look how big I am. Look how strong I am. Look how beautiful I am. Clearly, everybody else thinks so also. Everybody wants to be like me. See, it's very natural. And so God warns us. God warns us because, you see, pride and arrogance can put a a nation, can put a a church, can put a person on a collision course with God. And believe it or not, God doesn't want you on a collision course with him. The, The Bible says, God says, he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He takes no pleasure in bringing judgment. He's trying to help you and I avoid the collision course. God is on a collision course with lying. He, he, he will correct that. And so he warns us over and over about pride. Look up here. I'm going to show you four verses. And these four verses are representative of dozens and dozens of verses all throughout the scripture. The boastful cannot stand in your presence. Proverbs 15. The Lord destroys the house of the proud. Now, I just said there's dozens and dozens of these verses. If there was just one and it was that one, wouldn't that make you want to figure out what pride is and how not to do it? I don't want a promise from God that he'll destroy my home. And there it is. The Lord destroys the house of the proud. Next one, Proverbs 16. Everyone with a proud heart is detestable to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. I I bet some of you right now in your life, you have some people that you consider to be arrogant. Would I be right? I mean, it's not you. I'm not arrogant. (laughs) That's your problem. You know, if you notice that, if you always notice... Pride and arrogance is always somebody else, right? And, and, you know, we might look at them and think, well, now, wait a minute, Lord. You said that person's not going to go on, but they don't look like they're getting punished to me. They look like they're doing just fine. You know, that verse doesn't say what day it will happen. But it is a promise that it will happen. 
they will not go unpunished, especially if they includes me. Look at this last one, James 4. God resists the proud. Gosh, think of all the words we can put in there with, that are synonymous with resist. God resists the proud. God fights the proud. God frustrates the proud. God throws up roadblocks to the proud. God gets in the way of the proud. God frustrates the proud. And you start thinking about it like anything. God, Lord, what's, what's your big deal about the proud? Again, I mean, I know it's not the, the worst thing in the world. No, it, it, it actually is. Pride is the beginning of every single sin. And folks, this is, pride is our, gratitude is not our tendency. Pride is our tendency. And I'm not saying you've never sent a thank you note. I'm not saying you're not grateful. I'm saying left to ourselves. Our natural tendency is more toward pride. Our natural thoughts are what I have done. Right? And so that's why God is warning here. Now, when we say pride, folks, I'm not talking about the pride, you know, like where you're bragging what a great basketball player you are. Or how good your grades are. And of course, bragging would certainly be included in this. I'm, I'm talking about the pride that says, I, I don't need to serve them. I'm, I'm talking about the pride that Jesus most often spoke about. The pride of the religious. That pride that I believe the right things. I know the right rules and I obey those rules. I belong to the right place. Isn't it interesting that you and I can be given something totally wrapped in grace and use it as an arrogance over others? That's the kind of pride Jesus most often talked about. I'm I'm talking about the pride that says, I have a right to be angry. I have a right to get even. I know none of you have said that. Even though God has said... Your anger will never accomplish my righteous purposes. Hey, God, you're not supposed to say never. Never say never. You know, I'm pretty sure God can say never. Do you know what that means? Any moment of anger you've had from birth to death, your acting on that anger will never, not even one single time, bring about God's righteous purposes. Which is why then God says to you and to me, hey, would you leave this in my hands Would you let me take care of vengeance in this situation? To which our answer is, why sure, Lord, I absolutely trust you with this. No, do you know what we say? No. No, I have a right to be angry. I have a right to react. We're talking about the pride that says, I can do what I want. You see, folks, all of this kind of thinking all grows in the soil, the soil I did not put there, with the water that I did not put there. All this thinking grows in the soil of self-sufficiency. You know what self-sufficiency means? I am completely sufficient in and of myself, even though I need the soil that I did not put there. Even though I need the water that I did not put there. Even though I need this body that I did not make. All that thinking grows in the thoughts of self-sufficiency. And self-sufficiency is our natural way of thinking. I did this. Hey, it was my... Okay, we'll bow and say thank you for the food, but it was my hard work to put it on the table. 
I did the work. It was my blood. It was my sweat. It was my tears. It was my smarts. It was my strength. Hey, nobody else got it figured out. I got in there and figured it out. It it was my work. It was my effort. Listen, when all that I is going on, do you know what the next most natural comment is? I can do what I want. I did, I did, I did, I did, I did. Therefore, I can do what I want. I own this world. It's mine. I made it. Everything good here is because of me. So I can do what I want. Except that none of what I just said is true. Isn't it amazing how we will build an entire life on the lie we tell ourselves? And it's that lie that is the thought right before every sin we can commit. You know why you sin? Because you have a right to. Do you know why you do wrong and rebel against God? Because I have a right to. I know better right here. I'll do better right here. I know more right here. Folks, we need Thanksgiving. We need that. And I'm not just talking about four Thursday of a month on a calendar in 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 a nation. We need the discipline of thanksgiving in our lives. You know, I've already said never today, so now let me say every. <laughs> every day of your life you should give thanksgiving. Every. There should, it's not enough to say three times a week. It's not enough to say four or five times this week. Every, when you look at what you're up against, what you're fighting in your own heart and soul... Every single day, you need to get every single day and say, God, thank you for dirt and water. Because without it, I am dead. And I didn't put the dirt there. I didn't put the water there. Hey, God, this is about your goodness, not my goodness. We need to stop and give thanks. Let me give you four reasons, four quick reasons. Not going to tarry too long on any of them. Four reasons why we need to give Thanksgiving. Number one, and this is probably the big one, it guards against pride. Now, I'd love to say it's a guarantee. I don't think it's quite a guarantee. But there's a real simple idea here. I mean, what's the problem? I'm taking credit for what God has done. Well, if I'm in the habit, if you're in the habit of every single day saying, I didn't put the dirt there, I didn't put the water there, God, I acknowledge that's what you did. Thank you for life, for health, for strength, for salvation, for forgiveness, for love. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my home. When we're in the discipline of acknowledging that that's what God did, then at least we're giving ourselves a pretty good chance that we're not going to start to take credit for it. That is what my soul will do on its own. But if I build a discipline of regularly giving him thanks, I'm building the odds that I keep acknowledging him and not myself. The second reason we need to do this is, is it okay to say just because it's right? Have you ever had anybody take credit for what you did? Did you like it? The answer is no, you didn't. It's right to acknowledge what God has done. It's not what I did. It's what he did. James 1.17 says, every perfect gift comes from God. Every good moment you have. You know, when we take our lap around the Thanksgiving table and give our thing, you know, I'm thankful for the roof over my head and my health. And we'll think of big things. You ever thank God for taste buds? Do you you realize how unnecessary they are for life and health and strength? 
You don't need taste buds for nutrition. That's just something fun God did. That's just something for you to enjoy. I mean, folks, so many little things we've never, ever, ever, ever even thought to give God thanks for. And every single good feeling, every good moment, every la- everything, that's from God. Do we acknowledge Him? It's right to say, hey, you did this. You gave this. It's fun to think. I like to say to give thanks until you start to wonder if you even should have thanked God for that last one. I think that's so small. No, you should have. You know, folks... This, this Thursday when we're, we're taking our lap around the, the table, and maybe I'm just telling on myself, I know y'all don't do this, but, but you know, you go around the table and everybody's got to say they're thankful for, you know, their list. And, and what do we do? Well, I'm thankful for my health and the roof over my head and, and a job and my family. Now, am I thankful for those things? Yes, I am. Did I put an ounce of thought into what I just said to my family at that table? Not one bit. And, you know, if we're not careful, what we'll do is every single Thanksgiving, we'll say the exact same thing. Are we thankful for it? Well, yeah, if we stop and think about it, we really are. But we're not stopping and thinking about it. There's absolutely no passion. There's absolutely no heart. There's absolutely no thought of what James 1.17 just said. That these things that I just said came right out of the hand of God. They're His goodness in my life. And I give absolutely zero thought. I'm just, we're just taking our lap around the Thanksgiving table. Man, that's not okay. I want to acknowledge. I want to give credit. That's, that's the right thing to do. Don't, don't you want that done for you? Why would we not offer that to God? A third reason we need to give thanks, folks, is because we need hope. Anybody in here need hope today? We need hope. You know, when you think about giving thanks, we, we tend to think about the good things going on in life, right? You know when we most need to give thanks? When the bad things are going on in life. Now, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, one of my favorite passages, and I think for so long because I struggled with it, I thought, God, that's impossible. I've said that about very few commands in Scripture, but that one I've said, that's impossible. 1 Thessalonians says, in everything, and it's the word everything that I really struggled with, give thanks. That's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's not me just saying that. That's what the verse says. In everything, give thanks to God, for this is God's will for you in Christ. That's impossible, Lord. I mean, are you thankful for everything going on in your life? No. No, of course you're not. And that's right. And y'all have heard me say this. Prepositions are important, right? It's just saying a preposition there. It does not say be thankful for everything. It says be thankful in everything. Do you realize what a huge difference that is? I'm not, it doesn't say, Randy, you need to be thankful for cancer. It says in the midst of cancer. That's a huge difference, isn't it? It's in the midst of cancer. It's in the midst of the loss of a loved one. It's, it's in the midst of, of a lost job. It's in the midst of anger. It's in the midst of loneliness. It's in the midst of depression. It's in the midst of feeling absolutely overwhelmed and crushed by darkness that I need to see the light. And it's gratitude that does that. In the midst of that darkness, give thanks. Give thanks for what? All I can see and feel right now is this bad stuff. You give thanks for this. It's temporary. That's the only thing you have to be thankful for this Thanksgiving. All this garbage I'm going through is temporary. Now, (laughs) here's the tricky part about temporary. That could be like 30 or 40, 50 years. 
but it's not eternal. It's not forever. Whatever you're, whatever's hurting, whatever's wrong, whatever is frustrating, whatever is suffocating you, it is temporary. So stop and give thanks that it's temporary and start giving thanks for the things that are eternal. You know what? Nothing I am going through, nothing temporary can change how much God loves me. It will not change that I'm forgiven of sin. It will not change that I'm going to heaven when all this bad stuff finally suffocates me. It doesn't change any of that. For that, we can be thankful. It's in that darkness. Do you see? Do you realize what God is doing for us there? He's not looking. He's like, hey, I know it really hurts. Say thank you. No, he loves you and he hurts with you and he's giving you a path out of that. The path is gratitude. Give gratitude. Give thanks for the good that I've given you that is eternal while you're going through this temporary. In, not for, in everything give thanks. And, and lastly, folks, we give thanks because, man, I want to be on the path of blessing. Think of the option given here. I mean, pride, arrogance, ungratitude, that puts me on a collision course with God, a collision course with judgment. Or I can just obey his command to to give thanks. Is he giving that because he needs that? He's lonely and he just needs a bunch of thank you cards from you and I? He's saying that for you. It's not that you should give thanks. You need it. Your soul needs this. And it puts us right in the path of blessing. Because God blesses obedience. 695 times the scriptures refer to giving of thanks. Let me show you. Not all 695. But four. Look at these up here. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Proclaim his deeds among the peoples. You know, that's why we need the church. That's why we need each other. I need a place where I, have the, I can regularly gather and tell somebody else. What I'm thankful for. You know, when we think of giving thanks, a lot of times we think of one time a year that we take that lap around the table. And most of the other time, it's in our own personal prayer times, right? In my own personal prayer time, I'm giving God thanks. But folks, a big part of gratitude is voicing the goodness of God to others. You know why that's so important? Because sometimes we're so suffocated in the darkness, we just can't in everything give thanks. And I need somebody else to do it. I need somebody else to remind me that God's here, God loves, God forgives, God is working. It's so important we tell each other that. That's why it's so important that we gather and come together. Um, Psalm 7, I will thank the Lord for his righteousness. I will sing. Did you do that this morning? Yeah, or did you just stand and stare? That's we're not the message isn't on singing. Let's go to the next verse. I will thank the Lord with all my heart. Oh, that, see, that, those three words, all my heart, is why I've got to be so careful that when it's my turn this Thursday, I'm not just spouting off the obvious things I'm supposed to say. It's with my heart that this is supposed to happen. Romans 1. Now, Romans 1, there, there's not a command there to give thanks. You see the word gratitude. Romans 1 is coming at this from another direction than, than the other verses. Romans 1, for though they knew God... Oh, wait a minute, who's, who's this verse about? It's not about the atheist. It's about you and me. For though they knew God, 
They did not glorify him as God. What did they do? What were they missing? What happened? Gratitude. You know, it's interesting. Romans chapter 1, starting in about verse 21 and following. And I, I don't have following up there. But if you were to turn to Romans 1, 21 and following. If you were to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 and following. You would see a grievous description of mankind. You, you would see our, our, our sin, how gross we can become toward God and, and toward each other. And you're going to see, you, you, in both, Romans 1 is kind of talking about the current state of affairs. 2 Timothy 3 is actually pointing to the end, the end times. And it's describing mankind. And you're going to see murder and vile behavior and immorality and perversion. And you're going to see these awful things in, in mankind being described. And in both lists, a lack of gratitude is listed. And again, that's where you say, no, no, okay, okay, Lord, I, I, no, it's not nice to not be grateful. I know I should acknowledge, you know, who did something. But really, does a lack of gratitude go in that kind of list? Yes, because a lack of gratitude is what builds pride. And pride is what makes every sin possible. I'm God. I can do what I want. See how important that all is now? You, you, you see why God is, is warning of us this? We will not be moving in a good place. We will not be leading our home or friends or loved ones to a good place when I start to believe I made the soil. I put the water there. I tell you what, I'm grateful for. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to live in a country that calls me to stop and give thanks, aren't you? Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm a little bit concerned throughout our nation if they know who they're giving thanks to. I, I hear a whole lot of spirit of thanksgiving. It's not a spirit. It's not a feeling of just being thankful. We're, we're giving thanks for something that came out of his hand. It's a very person that we're giving thanks to. So I, I get a little concerned. Do we know who we're giving thanks to? Are we indeed going to be giving thanks across America today? I get, I get a little concerned about that. But I am confident of this. Don't, don't you think that, that, that Thursday there will be tens of millions Tens of millions of us who will genuinely be seeking to give God thanks. And that may be one of the precious few reasons that God still has to smile on America. That, that may be one of very few things that puts this country in any kind of path of blessing. Because there are so many reasons for God to walk away. There are so many reasons for God to bring his judgment. So I'm grateful. Even if it's driven by the calendar. That my nation, our nation calls us to stop and to give thanks. And shouldn't we who know God 
with passion and energy, with a better understanding of that day than ever before, lead out in giving that thanks? Man, from, from Maine to Hawaii, tens of millions of phrases of gratitude going up into the courts of heaven. That's a good thing. We want to be a part of it. And not just one day a year. Amen? Every single day. Hey, you know, the the beauty of this command is we can do it right here, right? We don't actually have to go home and and start something. We don't have to call somebody. I mean, right here, right now, we can, we can do this. So right now, let's do that. Let's, let's bow our head. If you're watching online and hey, the, the beauty of online is we actually cover Washington to Florida. I, I mean, our nation right now can begin giving that thanks. Here's what I want you to do. Bow your heads. You're praying. Right now, give God thanks for 15 things. Maybe you have to actually, okay, number one, number two, give God, and let me tell you what I'm trying to do with the number 15. I'm trying to get us past the obvious things we always say without thought. I'm trying to make us go a little bit further to where maybe we start thanking God for things we don't normally thank him for at all. Let's right now, all across this room, give God thanksgiving for 15 things. Oh, God, I I, I pray that as, gosh, just in this room, online, Lord, I I, I would assume thousands and thousands of phrases just rose up into your courtroom, expressing your goodness, not ours, expressing your greatness, not ours, expressing what you did, not what we did. Oh, God, I pray that it has blessed you. For as we sang today, you are worthy. Lord, may we be about the discipline of keeping our heart, keeping our home, keeping our nation faithful every day to giving you thanks. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.